Well, good morning, everyone. How are you doing today? Good? Happy Memorial Day weekend. So glad that you guys are here. If you're a guest and you're checking out Elevate Church for the first time, my name's Colby, and I'm so glad that you decide to spend uh, some time with us today as we're wrapping up this series called Know Thyself. And I think the word that God has for us today is the word Elevate. Not just the name of a church, which it is, but I think that God wants us to elevate in every area of our life, for us to grow, uh, for us to grow in our, our faith. He wants to elevate our, our, our faith. You know, that's a spiritual component of our life. But I didn't know if you realized this, but also our finances. That's a spiritual component of our life. Our relationships, our marriage. I think that God wants to take us on this journey to seeing every area of our life elevated for us to break through and see new levels in our journey with him. And so we've been in this series called Know Thyself that really was designed to do that. And one of the weeks we talked about uh, kind of inch by inch, taking small, consistent, incremental steps in order for us to, to reach our destination. Uh, uh, last week we talked about how I'm going to get mine, meaning that there is a human responsibility to taking hold of what Paul said, of that which Christ Jesus has taken hold of us. So we have to press on, we have to take hold of the promises of God. And the, last week we learned a few different things that God definitely wants for us to take hold of is knowing him. You have a responsibility in knowing him and coming to him, also in finding freedom, that that's the, the road that he has us on to ultimately discover purpose and to make a difference. Uh, today, I decided I'm gonna add one more week to this series. This is the bonus track, if you will, all right? Uh, it was gonna be a three-week extension, but I thought nobody's gonna wanna listen to that. So this is a one-week extension. I don't know if you remember the, the, the cassette tapes or CDs. Anybody remember those cassette tape CDs? Ask your mom if you don't. But on the last track, you would have a friend that would tell you, hey, when you play the last and final track, don't, don't hit stop. Let it continue on even through the break, even through the silence, because there is a hidden track, right? There is a bonus track. Today is the bonus track, all right? Today is the hidden track. And I think that God has something for each one of you. And the reason why I decided to have a bonus track was because I think last week, I might've left you off at a place that was not sustainable. That perhaps you left here with greater resolve to pursue the promises of God in your your life, but you should know that in that journey of doing that, there will come a moment where you and I will hit the wall. Everybody say, hit the wall. We'll hit the wall. We'll hit a, a barrier in our life, and whatever it is. Uh, many of you know I don't like to run. I'm not, I don't like to run for exercise. I'm not a runner. Uh, I like to, I'll run playing soccer, I'll run playing football, those kinds of things. I'll run to the refrigerator. I do that all day long. <laughs> I'll run to the store. Those kinds of running is fine. But I'm not a like runner. And those of you that are long distance runners, um, man, I'm praying for you. All right, just, just so you know, I'm gonna pray that God would deliver you from that. But if you've ever been in a long distance race, there comes that moment in the race where you hit the proverbial wall, right? Meaning that like you, you feel like you're out of gas. Meaning that you feel like you've done all that you can, that you have nothing left to give. You, you, you're running on on empty, and when you hit that proverbial wall, like you have a few different options. One is to quit. Uh, two is to, you could go to the med tent and get a you know, ride on the, the go-kart back to the finish line, which just don't do that. 
but like there's some options. But the thing that doesn't matter when you hit that wall, that proverbial wall, it doesn't matter how motivated you are because motivation fades. It doesn't matter how, how exciting race day is. The only thing that matters, listen, when you hit the wall is how well you've trained is how well you've trained for the moment, how well you've trained to push past the wall, how well you've trained to reach that, that desired location, that desired destination to push past through to the finish line. He's not talking about races anymore. No, I'm not. I'm talking about in life. I'm talking about there will come a moment in your life, in your journey with Christ, whatever it is, you will hit the wall. Colby, could you be a little bit more positive? I am positive that you will hit the wall. In your faith, as you're pursuing the promises of God, you're gonna come to that place where it's like, why even go on? Colby, all this stuff that, that we're learning is not working for me. Why even bother? You'll wonder why you should even try when you hit the wall. And, and I know you'll hit a wall because I have people say to me all the time, Colby, I tried the God thing and it didn't work out. It didn't work for me. I tried Jesus, I tried having faith, and it's just not working for me, I tried. Or I tried to make my marriage better, Colby, and it didn't work. I tried in my relationships, I tried with my friendships, I tried to be a better friend, but it's just not working for me. And when you say things like that, this is what I hear. So you've hit the wall. And whatever it is in your life, you've hit the wall, and you've done it without the proper training. And so my heart today really is to prepare you for that moment that you hit the wall so that we can climb over the wall, push through the wall, break through the wall, whatever it is to elevate to new levels in our life. But it's gonna take some training. Are you with me? It's gonna take some training. And this is the part that nobody likes. I want you to write this down in order to elevate, to reach higher heights and whatever it is in our, our faith journey. Um, you don't get the goal, write this down, without the grind. You don't get the glory, you don't get the goal, whatever it is, without the grind. Nobody likes this part, because it's going to take work. Somebody say work. It's gonna take work. And you don't get the goal, you don't get the glory without doing the work, without the grind. See, all of us want that moment in our faith where we're drawing closer to God, we're fulfilling the promises and purposes of God in our, our life, we'll take that. We'll take the moments where we're feeling like we're being blessed and we're experiencing the favor of God where everything is clicking and everything's up and to the right, but a lot of us don't like to, to do the work, the grind that it takes to get there. And a lot of people will see, we will compare ourselves to and say, you know, why is, why is it working for them? Because all we see is their highlight reel. It looks like that person has great faith. It looks like that person is pursuing the purposes and promises of God in their life, but if we would just uh, look under the hood, if we would pull back the curtain just a little bit, we would see that, that they didn't just arrive there, that it took grind, that it took a lot of work to get to where they are. Oftentimes we see the public glory of where they are, but we don't see the private grind that it took to get them there. And it's like with my, my kids, when we wanted a, a dog, uh, we, we have a dog now. I think she's like two or three years, years old. I don't know. Uh, the dog and I have a hate-hate relationship, so whatever. <laughs> but everybody wanted a dog. They liked the idea of having a dog, right? They just didn't like the idea of the work that a dog would take. And so now we have this, this dog, and she is a great dog, by the way. 
Um, I have a little two-year-old gray that he can do whatever he wants to the dog. He can like ride her even though she's like this big. He can ride her, pull on her ears. He lets her, you know, lick him all over the face. It's gross, but, but it's how we're building his immune system, all right, just so you know. Um, next, I'm gonna teach him how to eat dirt because that's kind of what I grew up on. But he, the dog is great. She's wonderful. But I'll ask Jake in the morning, Jake, did you take the dog out? It's your responsibility to take the dog out. No, I always take the dog out. Ask Park. Okay, Park, did you take the dog out? No, why do I always have to take the dog out? Ask Wade. Wade, did you feed the dog? Did you let the dog go out? No, I, don't, I always do it. It's kind of like if Kristen didn't live in the house, the dog would not exist, all right? So it's, that's how bad it is. They like the idea of the dog. They didn't, just, they didn't like the work that it took. And I think in our lives, in our, in our journey of faith, in our journey with God pursuing the promises, we like the idea of seeing those promises fulfilled more than we like the grind that it takes to get there. And so my heart today is really to set us up for success in reaching those, those goals. When we come face to face with the wall, when we come face to face with the barrier that keeps us from elevating to a new level. Now when we think about barriers, when we think about walls, we generally think of something that's external. Because people would say, Colby, yeah, I get it. I have barriers to me pursuing the promises of God in my life. My barriers are people. If I would just have more support from the people around me, then I could fulfill those, those promises. Or my barrier, Colby, is finances. Like if I just had more money, then I would have more margin and I would be a better steward of, of what I have. I just need more of that. That's my barrier. That's my wall that keeps me from fulfilling what God has called me to fulfill. Or Colby, my barrier is opportunity. I never get any opportunities. I never, you know, at, at work to advance. I just don't get the opportunity. And a lot of times we erroneously believe that the barriers that we face are external. But I want to submit to you today that the barriers that you and I have to deal with are not out there, but they are in here. The giants that we have to slay in order to continue to pursue the promises of God are, are the things that we have to face head on to deal with the things that are inside of us that nobody wants to deal with. The things that we often wanna push down and, and suppress and, and try to ignore. And I know what you're thinking, Colby, I don't, I don't like dealing with feelings. Ooh, that's gross, right? I, I don't wanna have to sit around in a circle and hold hands and sing kumbaya. Listen, that's not what this is turning into, all right? I promise you. I don't like holding hands with strangers, so I get you. But here's what I believe because we would rather ignore the internal barriers that we have, ignore them, here's what we do. We schedule out every bit of white space on our calendar to make sure that we run from this thing to this thing to that thing to that thing to ensure that we never have to stop and face what's going on inside of us and to slay those giants. And because of that, like we're raising up a generation of kids that, that, that believe that normal life is running at breakneck speed. And so if they never have to slow down, then they don't ever have to face the giants that are inside of them, them either. But in order to pursue what God has called us to pursue, we need to slow down and come face to face with these, these barriers and stop running at breakneck speed. Our, our schedules have become our drug of choice. Call me, I'm not addicted to anything. Are you addicted to your pace? Are you addicted to running from thing to thing 
to thing. And while we're motivated for a moment, and that was my fear last week, you got motivated for a moment, maybe inspired for a season. What happens when motivation fades? What happens when inspiration, right, dies? You and I hit the wall. And if we hit the wall without the proper training, we'll never get beyond that. I've learned that uh, uh, when it comes to building skyscrapers in New York City, New York City is basically built on a slab of granite. That's what it is. Uh, in order to go up hundreds and hundreds of stories high, before they go high, they have to go deep. They anchor these skyscrapers like 25, 30, you know, 40 stories into the ground before they go high. And I thought, that's what we have to do. If we want to ever elevate, if we want to ever go high, we first have to go low. If we ever want to build high and get above the barriers in our life, we first have to dig deep. We first have to dig deep. So that's what I want to do today. And I want to use uh, a guy named Moses to help get us there. If you have your Bibles, you can open it to Exodus chapter 3 and 4. That's where we're going to be. While you're getting there, let me give you the Cliff Notes version of Moses. Perhaps you've, you, you've heard of Moses before. Do, do we still use Cliff Notes in school, by the way? Does anybody do that? Cliff Notes meant that you didn't read the book. Right, It meant that you got a summary of it. You used the big ideas. I confess that that's what I did. That's how I got through school, on the cliff notes. But Moses was a guy uh, who was born as a Hebrew during a period where Pharaoh wanted to, to kill all the baby boys because the Hebrews were reproducing like rabbits. I mean, just like going, going, going. And they were afraid that they were gonna get overrun. So he decided, well, I'm gonna take care of this. We're gonna kill all the Hebrew babies. But Moses' mother and father did not want him to be killed. So they made a basket uh, and made it waterproof and put him in a creek. I just say it that way because there is no such thing as a crick, all right? Is a creek, I need to be clear. Actually, a crick is something you get in your neck, all right? You can get that. But a creek, come on, people, it's a creek. So they put him in a creek, and Pharaoh's daughter found him. And she's like, I'm going to take this baby. I want to adopt this, this baby. So she takes him home, raises this, this Hebrew baby in Pharaoh's palace. So now he's there. He's living the palace life. And like I said, this is the Cliff Notes version. Fast forward a little bit. Moses is out one day, sees one of his fe fellow Hebrews getting abused by one of Pharaoh's soldiers. He steps in the middle of it, intervenes, ends up killing Pharaoh's soldier, goes on the run because he's afraid of getting busted. He hides his body in the sand, takes off into the wilderness, meets a guy named Jethro. Does it sound like he's from West Virginia? Jethro or Kentucky. Jethro is the priest of Midian, marries one of his daughters, all right, and now he's tending Jethro's flock. So in Exodus chapter three, if you're still with me, that's where we're gonna pick up the story. Verse one says, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and he came to Oreb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of the fire from within the bush. Uh, even if you've never been around church, you've probably heard of this story. You've probably heard of this this um, story of, of the burning bush and, and God speaking to Moses, this is that moment in history. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight. Why do the bush does not burn up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. Moses, 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 here I am, he said. The rest of chapter three and chapter four really is this conversation between God 
uh, through this burning bush and, and Moses. And if you know the story, he tells Moses, take off your sandals because this is holy ground now where you, where you are. Verse nine, skip ahead. So he says, I've heard the cries of my people. So the nation of Israel, the people that God set apart to be his, his, his nation and, and Pharaoh has enslaved them. And he says, I've heard the cries of my people and I'm going to deliver them. And don't miss this. He says, Moses, I'm gonna do it through you. Moses, I'm sending you. Talk about an assignment, right? Talk about the fact that God shows up in this burning bush and gives him this very clear call. Wouldn't it be great if that's how God operated in our life? Like if I just walked outside of my house and my landscape was on fire and God was going, Colby, Colby, you know, here's what you're gonna do. That would be awesome. And in this moment, like Moses gets this clear call. And I think for many of us, we, we, we would say, you know what, if God showed up to me that way, then I would, I would follow him. Like if God came in the form of a miracle, then I would give my life to follow him. No, you wouldn't. Not if you don't first slay the giants inside of you. Not if you don't first deal face to face with what's going on inside of you because Moses here in this moment, like God shows up to him in this, this amazing miracle, but look what Moses said, verse 12. But Moses said to God, who am I? Like who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? His first response wasn't, wow, this is amazing, let's go. Like I'm in, send me, what do you want me to do? I'm, I'm there. No, he said to God, who am I? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. First question I want you to jot down. These will all be in the form of a question. Uh, question number one, Moses said, who am I? Write that down. That should be a familiar one. Who am I? Who was Moses? He was a, a runner. He was a murderer. He didn't take responsibility and ownership for what, what he had done. He was a Hebrew slave who was raised in, a, in Pharaoh's palace, right? So talk about all kinds of identity issues. It would take you know, a therapist years to unravel all that was going on in Moses. That's who Moses, Moses was. And he says, who am I? God, who, who am I? Now, hopefully in your life, this has changed. In the last few weeks or so, week one, we started with this question, who am I? And I'm not going to revisit it all, but oftentimes if I were to ask you, who are you, you would tell me what you do instead of who you are. You would resort to, well, I'm a, I'm a fireman, I'm a first responder, I'm a, I'm a teacher, I'm, a, I'm an attorney, I'm a, I'm a doctor. Those, you would tell me what you do, you wouldn't tell me who you are, but maybe you learned a little bit and said, oh, okay, well, I get it, I'm a, I'm a father. That's who I am, I'm a mother, I'm a sister, I'm a brother, I'm a husband, I do, I do husbandly kinds of things. Or maybe you would talk about your skill set. I'm a, I'm a runner. If you're a runner and you love to run, I'm praying for you, I'm just saying. I'm a baker, I'm a, I'm a you know, that's, that's, you would maybe go to your skill sets, but that's not what I asked you. I asked you, who are you? I didn't ask you what you do, because who you are is not what you do. If who you are is what you do, what happens who do you become if you no longer do what you do? See, that's not ultimately who you are. Maybe you'd even say, okay, I get it. Here's who I am, Colby. I'm, I'm loyal. I'm loving. 
I'm compassionate, I'm kind, and you begin to describe some attributes about, about yourself, and, and all those adjectives might describe you, maybe, maybe not, but if I had to guess that just below the surface, there is another you. There's a different you. There's the, the polished you that, that you bring to church, the church you, that walked through these doors and said, hey, how you doing? Praise the Lord, brother, everything is good. I'm good, God bless you, everything is fine, fine, fine. But the whole way here, you were yelling and screaming in your car and swatting at anything moving in the back seat, trying to make contact, right? Kids, shut up back there, you don't leave me alone. And then you got your kids and you dropped them off at Elevate Kids and you turned to your spouse and said, honey, we are never picking them up again, ever. Like, thank you, Jesus, right, for our serve team back there and Elevate Kids, man, knocking it out of the park. There is the polished you that knows how to respond in certain situations, but I want to submit that just beneath the surface of that, there's another you. And I know there's another you because that other you comes out when you're in moments of pressure. That other you comes out, hair, teeth, eyeballs, and all when you're under stress, there's another you, and it's the shadow you. So we all have this, this polished us that we want everybody to see and, and that we can you know, kind of show people most of the time, but just beneath that, there is a shadow you. How many of you remember ever being out in the sun as a little kid, and you see your shadow, and you try to outrun your shadow, try to get away from your shadow? Anybody? Don't leave me hanging. Lie if you have to. Say, yes, I did that, okay. You try to juke it, right? You try to break its ankles, cross over, whatever you had to do to get away from it, but you couldn't. And I wanna, uh, I believe that every single one of us, there's the shadow you that follows us around everywhere we go. Maybe, maybe we'd say, you know, this marriage, you know, is gonna be better than my last marriage, you know, but, but you end up going into that marriage and it's the same thing because you've just brought your shadow you with you. Or Colby, this new job, you know, I'm gonna outrun my, my shadow, the, the life that I lived, and it's gonna be different, but everywhere you go, there it is. It's the, the shadow you. It's the one that's just right below the surface that when you say, um, the polished self says, who am I? Well, I'm loving. I'm kind, Colby, I'm, that's who I am. Your shadow you is going, really? Are you sure? Or when your polished you says, I'm compassionate, I'm generous, it's your shadow you that's going, did you forget about yesterday? And what you said and the way that you said it and the way you responded and fired back, are you forgetting that? That when your polished you says, Colby, I'm gonna pursue the purposes of God in my life, it's the shadow you that says, you can't do it. There's no way. You don't have what it takes. And I believe that in this moment, God gave Moses this call that says, you're going to go to Pharaoh. And you know what rose up within him? It was his shadow self that says, who am I? Like, I'm a murderer. I hide. I run away from things. I don't, I don't face things. Moses in that moment came face to face with, with who am I? And it was his shadow self that was just below the surface. And if you and I don't learn to deal with it face to face, head on, it will sabotage our destiny. Moses said, who am I? Who am I? And look at how God responded to him. I love it. He simply, he says, who am I that I should free the Israelites? And God said, I will be with you. That's huge. 
If you don't know anything else about who you are, if you're a child of God, that should be enough, that God is with you. He was saying to, to Moses, just like I was with David, who was a murderer and an adulterer himself, you know, and killed, killed a guy because he wanted to cover up the fact that, that he got his wife pregnant. Like I was with him and used him, just like I was with Gideon, who when I first found him, he was a, a, a wimp in a wine press hiding, and I called him a, a mighty warrior, and he goes on to defeat the Midianites because I was with him, just like I was with Peter, who had a hot temper, a bad attitude, cut off a guy's ear, but I was with him so that on the opening day of church, he preached a message, and 3,000 people came to faith in Jesus. Moses, I'm gonna be with you. I'm with you. God was saying to Moses, that even before I called you, I knew your polished self and I knew your shadow self. I knew your good and I knew your, your bad. I knew your strengths, I knew your, your weaknesses, but I called you anyway. And he's, he's brought me to tell somebody today that God has called you despite your flaws, despite your shadow self, despite what's lurking underneath. He knows the good you, the bad you. He knows the church you and the not church you, right? He knows your polished self and your shadow self, and he says, I choose to use you anyway. He says, Moses, I'm, I'm called you to do this, and I'm going to be with you. Verse 13, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites, and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, well, what's his name? Like, who is this, this God? What shall I tell them? Verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you were to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. Verse 15, God said to Moses, and say to the Israelites, the Lord, don't miss this, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. I love this, I love this. Moses questioned, uh, his first question was, God, who am I? Here's his second question, jot it down. God, who are you? Who are you? Let me be very clear about this, and I can't, I'm not over-exaggerating this in the least. The most important thing about you is what you believe about God. It is hands down the most important thing about who you are, because what you believe about God determines what you believe about eternity. What you believe about God determines, you know, what you believe about your purpose and how he sees you and how he loves you. What you believe about God determines what you do with your life. It is hands down the most important thing about you. Because if you, if you believe God is a small God, you're gonna have small faith. You're not gonna believe God for, for very much. If you believe God is a, an absent God, right, then you believe that he's distant, that he's never with you, that, that he has forsaken you, that he's forgotten you. If you believe God is a God of vengeance, then he's always out to get you. And so you run and hide and duck behind, you know, everything you can because you're fearful of God. If you believe God is a God of, of, he, of performance, then you're gonna spend your life trying to do your best to please him, to make him happy. But if you believe God is a big God, come on somebody, then you're gonna have big faith. If you believe God is a miracle working God, then you can have miracles in your life. If you believe God wants to bless you and give you favor, what you believe about God is the most important thing about you. What does Moses believe? He says, who are you? Like God, who are you? Who should I say? that you are when people ask me. And God responds with a whole Popeye response. He says, I am who I am, and that's all that I am. And saying I am, I love this. You know what he was saying? 
those two words, three letters, I am. God was saying there's, there's not enough room in the Bible to encompass everything that I am. Like you and I, we're not God, we are becoming. We have to say I am something, that I'm becoming something. God is not becoming anything. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the same always. He is who was and is and is to come. He is the great I am. I love that. And he's like, that's what you tell people, Moses. I am who I am. And then he says, say to the Israelites, I'm the, the God of your fathers, the God of, don't miss this, Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Let's talk about that. Because when I first read that, it didn't make a whole lot of, of sense to me. Why would God in this moment uh, give Moses a history lesson, right? When he's given him this task to go free his people, the nation of Israel, out of, out of e Egypt, like why would he give him this, this lesson on, on lineage in history? But what I learned was God wasn't giving him a faith or a, a history lesson. He was giving him a faith lesson through this. Because in saying, I'm the God of Abraham, well, who is Abraham? Abraham is the guy that God gave the Abrahamic covenant to. What's the Abrahamic covenant? It's when God approached Abraham and said, hey, I'm gonna use you to bless the entire world. I want you to leave your country, your people, your father's household, everything, move to the land, I will show you. I'm gonna bless you, I'm gonna bless those who bless you. He says, through you, I'm gonna bless the entire world. Well, Colby, how's he going to do that? He told Abraham that I'm gonna give you so many offspring that you're not even gonna be able to count them, right? You can't count, like you can't count the sands on the seashore. You're not gonna be able to count the offspring that I'm going to, to give you. And how did he do that? He said he came to Abraham and Sarah one day and said, hey, you're gonna, you're gonna have a son. And at this time, get this, Sarah was like 90 years old. And so Sarah laughed. She's like, there's no way I'm having a kid. Come on, ladies, think about pushing one of those out at 90 years old, all right? You would laugh too, probably. So I don't blame her for that. He says, you're gonna have a son. You're gonna name him, him Isaac. But in saying that I'm the God of Abraham, you know what he was doing? He was reminding Moses, I wanna tell you, Moses, that you need to tell people I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of the promise. I'm the God that, that makes a way where you don't think there's going to be a way, where you didn't think that, that Sarah could have a, ch a child if you didn't think that a nation could be born out of them. I'm the God who does the impossible. So Moses, when you go stand before Pharaoh and you say, let my people go, and he says no, and everyone gets discouraged, I want you to remind everyone that I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of the promise. I'm the God that will make a way where there seems to be no way. What does that mean for us? That means when you come head to head, with the barriers in your life, when you come face to face with, with the, something that you don't think there's any way around, you just remember he's the God of Abraham, that he's the God that will make a way where there seems to be no way. And then he says what? I'm the God of, of Isaac. So Abraham was, was the, the promise. He's saying, I'm a promise maker. Isaac was the son of the promise. So what he's saying is you need to tell them not only am I a promise maker, but I am a promise keeper. That I keep my promises from generation to generation that not one promise of God has ever failed. That the promises of God in Christ are yes and amen. And what that means for us today as well is that he's the God of Isaac. 
that you and I can see the promises of God fulfilled in our life. So don't stop short. Just believe that he's a promise maker and he's a promise keeper. He's the God of Abraham. He's the God of Isaac. But then it says he's the God of Jacob. And this is the one that confused me a little bit. Why would he say, why would he say Jacob? Well, maybe he said Jacob, Colby, because he's just working his way down the lineage, right? Because Abraham and Sarah had Isaac. Isaac and, and Rachel had, had Jacob. And so maybe he's just making his way through the line. That would make sense. But if you think about it, Abraham was a man of great faith. Abraham was a guy when God said, Abraham, here's where I want you to go. He's like, yes, Lord, let's go. I'm your guy, let's, let's, let's do it. Abraham, I'm gonna make a great nation out of you. Okay, I'll receive it. I'm with you, God, I have it. Abraham, I'm gonna give you a son, even in your old age, I'm gonna bless you with a son. Okay, Lord, if that's what you're gonna do, come here, Sarah, let's go. Get the Cialis, whatever we have to do, let's go, right? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. He was old, he was old. Like, whatever you gotta do. Abraham was a man of great faith, so that made sense. Saying, I'm the God of Abraham. And he says, I'm the God of Isaac. That makes sense, right? Because Isaac was the son of the promise. That meant God's promises were fulfilled. But then he says, Jacob. You know who Jacob is? Jake, you know what Jacob means? Jacob means trickster. Jacob means deceiver. Jacob was a scoundrel. Jacob tricked his brother Esau out of his birthright with a bowl of soup. Jacob deceived his father in receiving the, the blessing that, that belonged to Esau, right? Jacob was a scoundrel. Jacob took off from home because he was afraid of ramifications from Esau. He took off from home, left, went to his uncle Laban's house, married two of his daughters, by the way. That's some like real TLC sister wife stuff going on right there. Another message, another day, we'll talk about that. But then he started to amass a lot of wealth, a lot of, a lot of herds, all that kind of stuff, some, some livestock. And one night he decides, we're out of here. Takes off, doesn't even tell you know, his uncle Laban that he's leaving. Uh, Laban tries to chase him down. God says, don't mess with him. I have my hand on him. So he lets him go. But now as he's headed home, he hears that Esau's coming to engage him and meet with him. And here's how much of a scoundrel Jacob was. So much of a scoundrel, he, he sent his herds ahead right? Sent his, his, his children and his wives ahead. In fact, when he was left alone, God approached him in the night and he wrestled with God. And the Bible says that God wrestled with him. And because he persevered in that, that, he, that he's going to change his name from, from Isaac, no, Jacob, to Israel. And so he changed his name, but he changed his identity in that, that moment. So why? Like, why would God not tell Moses, Moses, you go and tell them that I'm the God of Abraham, I'm the God of Isaac, and I'm the God of Israel. Why say Jacob? Here's what I believe God was saying in that moment to Moses. Moses, when you stand before Pharaoh and you stand before the nation of Israel and you tell him who sent you, you tell him that the God of the promise sent you. You tell him the God who kept his promise sends you. And then you also tell him that the God of your, your shadow self that your polished self, the God that knows you're good, the God that knows you're bad, the God that knows you're a trickster and a deceiver, but the God that loves you anyway, the God that wants to use you anyway, that that's the God who sends you because he's the God of Jacob and he'll use you just as you are. That's what I want you to tell him, Moses. It's a reminder for us 
that God uses our, our, our polished self, but also our shadow self. The self that we like to hide and, and suppress and not talk about. And he chooses us anyway. He's the God of Jacob. Now I was going to tell you the third question, but I don't have time, so I'm going to rush through it. But the third question, if you want to jot it down, is simply what's in your hand. In Exodus 4.2, God says to Moses, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied, uh, suffice it to say that everything that God has called you to do, he's already given you the tools to accomplish it. And stop looking for more of something, more influence, more power, more position, more money, whatever it is. Stop looking for more of something else and start looking at what you already have. God has given you so much. It was just a staff that Moses had. And everything that he's called you to do, he's equipped you to see it done. But this is the last one I wanted to get to. In Exodus 4.10, Moses said to the Lord, Oh Lord, I've never been eloquent. I can't talk. Neither in the past nor, in the, nor, nor since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech. I'm slow of tongue. In other words, God, I stutter. I'm afraid, I'm nervous, I don't have confidence. I doubt that this is possible. And you want me to go talk to Pharaoh? So Moses said, who am I, right? Number one, who am I? God, who are you? God says, what's in your hand? And then Moses says, what about my weakness? What about my weaknesses? What about all the ways that I... I fall short. What about all the ways that I, I doubt and I fail? God, I only can see my, my weaknesses. I can't, see, I can't see your sufficiency. I can only see my, my deficiency. I can only see what I lack. We live in a culture, and that just says, go to your strengths, go to your strengths, go to your strengths. Like your strengths, that's what's gonna take you where you need to go. But we serve a God who says, it's only in your weakness that my strength is perfected. So in your weakest, in your moments where you feel like you can't press on, you feel weak, God says, still keep going because I'm gonna be with you. I will be with you. The most important thing about who you are is that I'm with you. Like keep going. The most important thing about what you believe to be about me, right? It's gonna dictate everything else about your life. So know, know who I am. And when you hit that wall, you're like, I can't move on. God wants you to elevate over it. Ask him, and God says, well, use what you have. And ultimately he says, what about my weaknesses? God says, I, that's when I can get involved. And listen, it's the same way we come to Christ in the first place. We don't come to him in our pride. We don't come to him in our strengths. Maybe you've tried that. You can't do that. But it's not by your strength. It's not by your power. It's not by your might. But by my spirit, says the Lord. And it's only when we're weak and we humble ourselves that God gets involved. See, you're gonna hit a wall. Maybe you've hit a wall. Maybe it was this week you hit a wall. You don't know if you can go on. You don't even know if you should try. Why even bother with this whole church thing or God thing? I believe God is setting you up. He's positioning you where he would say, it's, it's in your weakness. That's my platform to get involved. So will you let God get involved? Let's do this. Bow your head, close your eyes. And just right now in this moment, ask yourself those questions. Who am I? If you're a child of God, God is with you. You should know that. That's enough. That's enough. He's with you. God, who are you? 
What you believe about God is the most important thing about you. It determines the course of your life, determines your faith, it determines how you see God, determines what you believe about God, about eternity. God, who are, who are you? And God might be saying to you right now, what's in your hand? God, I don't know if I, I have enough. God says, what's in your hand? Are you neglecting the things that are right around you, the people right around you that I want to, to use in order to see the purposes of your life fulfilled? But God, what about my weakness? If you would humble yourself today, humble yourself in your weaknesses, his strength is perfected. While we're praying, there might be those of you in this room today that you've never submitted your life to God, you've never come to him and say, Jesus, I can't do this apart from you. It's only in our weakness that we can approach him. It's only in our weakness where we come saying, I can't do this on my own and I don't want my sin to hold me back in my life because Jesus came to be a strength to our weakness. Jesus came to, to cover the sin that was in our life and he died on the cross for you. And maybe you've never surrendered your life to him and trusted the fact that, that Jesus paid for your sin once and for all, past, present, and future. The moment that he died and came back to life and the Bible says as we confess him as Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we would be saved. Maybe this is why you're here, to find salvation in Jesus. If that's you, I wanna lead you in a prayer in just a moment that does that. If God is speaking to your heart, saying this is, this is why you came, because you need to surrender your life to me. Then I'm gonna lead you in this prayer. If you'd say, Colby, when you pray that prayer, I'm praying right along with you with every head bowed, every eyes closed. Would you right now, just in a posture of submission, just raise your hand, just hold it up and say, God, here I am. This is almost like you surrendering. God, I know I'm weak, but I need your strength and you're reaching for that. God, I know I'm weak. I need your strength. I need Jesus to set me free, to save me, Awesome, awesome, God bless you, God bless you. You can put your hands down. You say something like this in your heart or repeat after me, just use your own words, whatever. The most important part is that you believe it. Just say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin so I would not have to die in my sin. And Jesus, I believe that God, God raised you from the dead so I could be raised to a new life in Christ. And from this moment on, I'm gonna live for you. I invite the Holy Spirit to live inside of me, to empower me, to strengthen me, to set my feet on the direction that you'd have them go. And from this moment on, I'm gonna follow you in Jesus' name, amen. Come on church, celebrate with those today. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you made a decision to follow Jesus into your life and accept him as Lord and Savior, we would love to know about it. You can go online to elevatechurch.com forward slash yes, and there will be some practical next steps for you to take along this journey. If you want to commit to fueling the mission and vision of this church to see people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, you can go online to elevatechurch.com forward slash give.